Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So this is the, the second class on the Adita Pariyaya Sutta. I have a feeling it's going to be, uh, there'll be three classes here. Um, this is one of the most significant suttas. I think I say that even in the introduction because it's where the Buddha um, tells us what he was, what motivated him to go seeking something. And it was a common thing during the Buddhist time that young men would seek, would leave their, their home and go out and study with different teachers and try to figure things out. Uh, he ended up uh, leaving home at the age of 29, and he studied with most of the um, known so-called spiritual teachers of his time. This sutta um, uh, talks about two of them specifically, Alara Kalama and Udeka Ramaputta, who were recognized as probably the, the most advanced uh, spiritual teachers of his time, and I use both of those words uh, in context. Um, and so, as you'll hear, the Buddha studied with both of these, and he found the culmination of what they were teaching to be unsatisfying or disappointing towards what he wanted to learn. It's also interesting to note that what they were teaching as the culmination of their path is... The, is the culmination of most modern Buddhist path, which is in some kind of non-physical dimension. Uh, Alara Kalama, uh, his culmination was the dimension of nothingness. The major, uh, one of the major forms of modern Buddhism teaches basically that, that the, the self is nothing and we, we aspire to nothingness. That always sounded like annihilation to me, even though I practiced in that tradition for many years. Udeka Ramaputta, um, his culmination was in the dimension of neither perception nor non-perception. Uh, again, a very common teaching today that the Buddha rejected 2,600 years ago. And it's very interesting to me that, that a mind rooted in greed, aversion, and deluded thinking always has to establish itself in something. So even the spiritual or religious disciplines that we've developed as a human society Almost every one of them, even the so-called natural religions, such as shamanism, result in some type of escape from humanity in the establishment in some non-physical realm. Meaning it's a rejection, to, to think that way is a rejection of my humanity. Meaning, I don't like being a human being, I don't care to understand it, I want, to, I want something to take me out of this and put me in some place else. The Buddha had, the, and the, I think this is the brilliance of the Buddha, he realized that's not what he wanted. He wanted to understand what it meant to be a human being because he understood that is what he was. So, um, I'm going to go back to the closing statement from last week's class, the Buddha's words. Then the thought occurred to me, why do I, being subject myself to birth, to sickness, to aging, to death, meaning why do I, as a human being, to sorrow, regret, pain, distress, despair, to greed, to aversion, to delusion, seek what is likewise subject to birth, to sickness, etc., etc. Meaning, he's starting to question himself. Why am I looking for answers where the problem resides? Where the experience of my discontent, why am I looking there? Then he says to himself, what if I, being subject to birth, were to seek to understand the suffering of birth? In other words, not to transform it, to understand it, not to eliminate it, not to escape it, which, mean, which, would, which would mean escaping your own humanity. He now, and this is his, the most brilliant moment that I think a human being ever had, because he went from the escape mentality or the fixing me mentality to let me just understand what it means. What if I to understand the suffering of birth Seeking the unborn and unexcelled relief, unexcelled release of the yoke of unbinding. What if I, being subject to sickness, to aging, to death, to sorrow, regret, pain, distress, despair, to greed, aversion, to delusion, were to seek understanding of these things? Now, all of those that list I just read 
are things that we as human beings find disagreeable and we don't want it. What the Buddha is realizing now at the age of 32, 33, 34, is this is, a, this is common to having a human life. So let me not escape it. Let me understand it. What if I were to seek the unborn and the unexcelled release of the yoke of the unbinding, meaning unbinding from these views that are causing so much distress? He's now understanding that it's the way that he's thinking that is causing his distress. So at a later time, while still a young man, black-haired, early in my life, my parents crying, I shaved off my hair, put on a robe made of rags, and went from home to homelessness. Now, that decision to seek understanding, caused him to leave his home, which is also a metaphor for leaving our familiar and comfortable surroundings. We have to put ourselves out a little bit to understand this. Having gone forth seeking understanding of these things, right, let me just go back on that. The reason why I said that last comment is that we as human beings, myself included, sought release as an escape, not to understand what, I, what was going on with me. I felt that something was wrong in the world. How do I get out of it? I felt that something was wrong with me because I wasn't uh, flourishing, because I was, I was full of discontent. But I didn't look within. I didn't look to understand what was going on within, within me. I kept looking for systems, beliefs, uh, spiritual disciplines that would allow me the escape from being a human being. And I, I, I'm so um, thankful today that they didn't work because they kept putting me back into the situation that Siddhartha found himself in. I want to understand what's going on. I don't want to escape it. Having gone forth, seeking Buddha's words, having gone forth, seeking understanding of these things, meaning understanding of what it means to be a human being, seeking what is skillful, seeking unexcelled and lasting peace, I went to Alara Kalama, one of the most famous teachers of the Buddha's time. On arrival, I said to him, Friend Alara, I want to practice your Dharma and discipline to become your disciple. Alara said to me, You may stay. My Dharma, my dharma is such that I, an observant person, can soon understand and integrate my knowledge and realize it for themselves through their own direct knowledge. Excuse me. That last line is a key to the Buddhist teaching as well. <coughs> He's learning the importance of having direct knowledge, even though this wasn't his. This wasn't what Siddhartha found useful. From reciting and repetition, I quickly learned his dharma. I could affirm that I knew his dharma. I thought that it is not through the through the mere conviction that Alara Kalama declared that I understand and have integrated his dharma and realize it for myself through direct knowledge, Alara Kalama certainly understands and has integrated his dharma, meaning he's, he's authentic, he's sincere in what he's teaching, much like most of my teachers before I came to what the Buddha actually taught. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> they put me on a new blood pressure medicine that for some reason has one of the side effects is these little coughs. So I went to Alara and asked him, what is the culmination of your understanding and integration of this Dharma? Alara declared that the culmination of his Dharma was establishment in the dimension of nothingness. Not what the Buddha was looking for. Then I thought, not only does Alara Kalama have conviction, persistence, mindfulness, concentration, and discernment, meaning, again, he's a sincere, dedicated practitioner of what he's teaching. He's not just a snake oil salesman, is what I'm saying. And we've all met teachers with that sincerity. The sincerity of the teacher and even a vast following does not determine if their dharma is what we need. And this is what the Buddha is finding out. The Buddha says, I also have conviction, persistence, mindfulness, concentration, and discernment. What if I were to strive to realize for myself this dharma, meaning Alara Kalama's dharma, 
through direct knowledge. I quickly developed understanding and fully integrated Alara Kalama's Dharma. Having realized for myself the dimension of nothingness through direct knowledge, I then asked Alara if this was the culmination of his understanding and integration of his Dharma. Alara told me that, his, that, that this was the culmination of his understanding and integration. He then said that it was a great gain for his Sangha to have a companion such as myself in their Sangha. He then asked me to lead their Sangha together. That was an incredible honor that uh, was bestowed on Siddhartha. And I, I can't imagine another human being that would turn it down because it was such an honor. It was an instant um, establishment in that society, instant power. And what the Buddha said was, Alara Kalama, my teacher, placed me on the same level as himself, paying me great honor. But I had the thought that this Dharma does not lead to disenchantment, to dispassion, to cessation, to stilling, to direct knowledge, to self-awakening, or to unbinding. This Dharma only seeks to establish a reappearance in the dimension of nothingness. The Buddha is saying that even if I can go there, all that I'm doing is reappearing. I'm bringing myself and all of my discontent into this new dimension. That is now a dimension of nothingness. Nothing has been gained is what the Buddha is saying. He's saying I'm substituting one fabrication for another. I found this Dharma unsatisfactory so I left Alara Kalama and continued the noble search. As I continued the noble search I went to Udaka Ramaputta. Upon arrival I told him friend Udaka I want to practice your Dharma and discipline to become your disciple. Um, I'm going to skip over much of this because much of it is just repeated. Where the Buddha learns Udaka's um, Dharma, integrates it fully, masters it, and then he concludes the same way. He said, Udaka Ramaputta, my teacher, placed me on the same level as himself, paying me great honor. But I had the thought that this Dharma does not lead to disenchantment, to dispassion, to cessation, to stilling, to direct knowledge, to self-awakening, or to unbinding. I will point out to you, as myself, that none of us would be here right now if we didn't all go through this. In other words, if we had found the answer to what we were seeking, you wouldn't be listening to me or the Buddha's Dhamma now. You would have integrated it and been satisfied. So we are experiencing the same noble search that the Buddha engaged in. We are so fortunate that we found what he found, because he's still teaching us. I found this Dharma unsatisfactory, so I left Udaka Ramaputta and continued the noble search. Seeking the unexcelled peace arising from skillful understanding, I wandered through the Magadan country and arrived in Uruvela. This place was delightful, with inspiring forests, a clear flowing river with shallow banks, and a nearby village for alms. This seemed just right for developing jhana. Friends, while practicing jhana, being subject to birth, to sickness, to aging, to death, to sorrow, regret, pain, distress, despair, being subject to greed, to aversion, to delusion, I realized the unborn and the unexcelled release of the yoke. While having a completely human experience, not escaping the human experience, by fully integrating the human experience, he realized the unexcelled release of the yoke. What he says then is, knowledge and vision arose within me. Unprovoked is my release. Unprovoked means there was nothing left within him that would provoke another moment, moment rooted in ignorance. And there was nothing provoking his release, meaning there's no outside agency working on him, no God or Diva, as was a common belief of his time, no faith that's provoking this release, simply his own understanding, his direct knowledge. And so he said to himself, unprovoked is my release. This is the last birth. That's such an important teaching on karma and rebirth. There is no further becoming. Right now uh, in our Tuesday and Saturday classes, we're going through six classes on karma, rebirth, and intentional becoming. And what that all points to is the Buddha's Dhamma in this moment, as I'm practicing it, is a practice of what am I going to become in this moment? 
And if my, my experience right here and right now is rooted by ignorance of Four Noble Truths, then I can only become further ignorant. I can only give birth to another moment rooted in ignorance. That's the most important teaching on, on, on rebirth or birth. The Buddha was never concerned about what kind of future birth we might have, meaning a physical or non-physical birth in a dimension of nothing or neither perception nor non-perception. He wanted to know, what am I giving birth to in this moment? And if I'm giving birth in this moment to something that is rooted in wisdom, understanding, then the next moment will be a a moment that I can become further awakened. So he declared, having this understanding within him, this is the last birth, meaning this is the last moment that I, where they, I'm past that moment, that I could give birth to a moment rooted in ignorance. This is the last birth. There is no further becoming ignorant for me. Then I had the thought, this Dhamma that I have attained is deep. It's hard to see and hard to realize. This Dhamma is peaceful, refined, and beyond mere conjecture. You have to experience it. It's not just something that people can describe and you have it. It's beyond mere conjecture. This Dhamma is subtle and is to be directly experienced by the wise. The Buddha is putting on a um, a value to his Dhamma, meaning it's, it's, not, it's not for everyone. It's for those that have the wisdom. And I'm not talking about... Um, uh, a type of wisdom that is that is superhuman. People that have the wisdom that the Buddha is describing here to know that to know what it's not, and to keep looking, to keep that sincere desire for understanding going. This dhamma is subtle and is to be directly experienced by the wise. But the world delights in attachment, meaning attachment to ignorance. Is is the world is excited by attachment and is devoted to attachment and worships attachment. That's another way of saying I'm devoted to continued eye-making, to continued self-referential views. Those are what we cling to. For a world delighting in attachment, excited by attachment, devoted to attachment, worshipping attachment, conditioned toward self-identification from dependence on ignorance, this Dhamma is hard to see. So again, I'm going to read that again because the Buddha is explaining why is it so difficult to get out of this. This Dhamma is subtle and is to be directly experienced by the wise. That's what the Eightfold Path is for, for the direct experience of this. But the world delights in attachment, meaning clinging to wrong views, clinging to views that can only bring continued ignorance and discontent. The world delights in that attachment, it's excited by that attachment, is devoted to that attachment. What is an example of being excited by attachment? Every new Dharma practice that I engage with, because every one of them I thought was the answer to my discontent. I was delighted by it and I was excited by it until I realized, as the Buddha realized, it wasn't for me. It wasn't doing what I needed. But during that, as the Buddha says, I was devoted to that attachment and I worshipped the attachment, meaning I worshipped the fabrication in my own mind, excuse me, that kept me motivated in the wrong direction, in the wrong search, not the noble search. For a world delighting in attachment, excited by attachment, devoted to attachment, and worshiping attachment, conditioned toward self-identification from dependence on ignorance, this, because of that, because of my clinging to my wrong views, the Buddha's Dhamma is hard to see. The Buddha is not saying his Dhamma is hard to see. It's, he's saying because of our conditioned thinking as human beings, as a consequence of having a human life, it takes some effort. The Buddha continues, The awakened state is also hard to realize. The awakened state is the resolution of all fabrications. Remember how dependent origination said, From ignorance of four noble truths, as a requisite condition comes fabrications, meaning a corrupted view of myself in relation to the world. The awakened state requires the relinquishment of all acquisitions. The Buddha is not talking about physical acquisitions, although we will release attachment to them. What he's really talking about is the acquired thinking, the conditioned thinking that we've developed throughout our lifetime. 
That is what is to be recognized and abandoned. Fabricated thinking. The ending of craving, meaning seeking more, seeking a fix. Excuse me. Even abandoning the search to find out what's wrong with me. Even the search for finding out why am I discontent. At some point we recognize the fact that yes, I'm discontent. Because at that point, now I can start look, looking at understanding discontent. Rather, and I'm, Discontent is another word I'm using for dukkha. By accepting it, radical acceptance of my discontent, now I can understand it. If I always say that my discontent is unacceptable, by constantly seeking distraction from another dharma practice, a new meditation practice, a new teacher, a new drug, a new food, a new relationship, a new golf course, a new restaurant, etc., etc., etc. I'm only seeking more acquisitions, aren't I? But if I simply take a breath, jhana meditation, and say, in this moment, I'm discontent, and then look at why, then I can understand because in this moment, I want me to be different and I want the world to be different. So the Buddhist Dhamma resolves in radical acceptance of what is occurring in this moment. It takes jhana meditation and the refined mindfulness developed through the Eightfold Path to do that. Then the Buddha continues. The development of dispassion. This is a clue to how to end the need for constantly acquiring and maintaining craving. The development of dispassion. I'm no longer passionate about establishing my fabricated self in the world. I'm losing the the thirst for self in this moment, meaning the establishment of a fabricated self. I'm realizing who and what I am. When, when a human being fully understands what and who they are, they end all competition between themselves and other human beings as well, which is the, which is the cause of all strife in the, in, the, in the world. It's competition. It's me needing to be just a little bit better than you so that I can feel safe or established. And when in this moment I can't find that I'm better than everyone, often my mind will resolve in the fact that I'm useless, that there's something wrong with me. What the Buddha realized is that each and every human, this is, this goes, this is a profound teaching that is anti the cosmic mind theory that we all fall into. The Buddha realized the individual discreteness of each and every human being. We're all individuals. We all experience life as we experience it. And there's a collective experience that we're all going through. But our minds are individual and we understand things as individuals. It's important for me to see that clearly. That the world isn't happening to me and I'm not happening to the world. I'm simply a reference point to what's occurring. And that's my motivation to get out of bed in the morning, to go to work, to teach the Dhamma. Why? Not to acquire something. Except maybe, and I, I have to qualify that, it doesn't mean that I don't go to work so I can pay my mortgage. That's just reasonable, it's sensible, it's practical. But I don't create a self-identification over my living conditions. Over having the biggest house on the block. Or even having, even having to live under a bridge. I don't take that personal either. I'm simply in the process of having a human life and this is my experience right now. We can take that further away from just my living conditions, whether I have a roof over my head or not. My actual living conditions. Um, am I living in a world that's going crazy with a pandemic? Yes, I am. But can I maintain a calm and peaceful mind? Do I have, do I have sick loved ones around me? Everybody goes through that. Can I maintain a calm and peaceful mind even when I'm feeling the stresses of a loved one's illness? Yes. And so what do we learn from that? We don't have to run away from, from sorrow. We don't have to run away from regret. We don't have to insist that it be different. We don't have to insist that the stress in this moment must be different. It means I can understand as a consequence of having a human life, there's going to be upset. There's going to be things that are not ideal. But through a skillful mind, I can accept them as a consequence of having a human life. 
I understand it's simply part of the deal. And if I want to have a human life, I have to accept all of human life. I have to take the train coming at me and learn to take a step off the train tracks. And I also have to understand the beautiful sunsets and winning the lottery. None of those things can take me out of this moment, out of what it means to be a human being. And in that way, I can appreciate each and every moment for what it's bringing me. Whether it's bringing me intense sorrow or fear that, you know, maybe I just heard that a loved one is very sick. And even that fear, how do I explain this a little bit better? Because the mind might go to, I don't want to have fear. Um, I was with my mom. My mom had a long illness. She had Alzheimer's and other physical difficulties. And it was a long illness. And I was with her near her death. I wasn't right there at her death. And uh, she was in an intensive care unit. So we all were going to see her when you could. And I noticed that uh, my five siblings and my father were just, they lost their mind. Even at the, at the end, they kept telling my mother that you're going to be okay. And you're going to, you know, I, I remember my dad, one of the last things he said to her was we're going to go to Cape May for dinner again. And I'm thinking, please don't say that to her because it's agitated. Anyway, when I sat with her, I just held her hand. And I said, mom, it's okay to go. And thinking about myself, I, I was so appreciative of the fact that there wasn't any fear, that I was completely at peace with my mom dying. She, she, it was time for her to die. She had a life. It was wonderful to have her as my mother. It's time to go. And there was absolutely no fear. And that, that, was, that made the moment much more poignant for me because I, I could be present with her without her feeding off my fear. Now, just to qualify that, um, the doctors had told us years before that the, um, the communication from her brain stem to the rest of her brain was gone, meaning she didn't know anything that was going on around her for many years. I didn't buy it because I could tell when my siblings were interacting with her that her agitation would, would rise because they felt them telling her that she had to do something that she wasn't capable of living. And when I was, and I, I'm not trying to make it sound like I'm, I'm this great peacemaker for her but I was able to just stay present with her and let her feel how much appreciation I had for her as a human being and that allowed her to calm down and know that it was okay to die and that changed everything for her experience but more importantly it changed everything for me I hope I didn't go on too long with that but I wanted to say that that was the development of this passion I didn't need that moment to be any different the development of cessation cessation of ignorance, and the development of unbinding, unbinding from wrong views. Then the Buddha says, if I were to teach the Dharma and others would not understand me, that would be tiresome for me, troublesome for me. So now the Buddha, he's describing his thought process post his awakening. How do I teach this and can I teach it and should I teach it? Just then, this realization never known before occurred to me. I'll dismiss, the, I'll dismiss teaching that which only with great difficulty I attain. This Dhamma is not easily realized by those overcome by greed, by aversion, by delusion. This Dhamma is difficult to understand. It's subtle, deep, contrary to common belief, still today. Those delighting in passion, their minds obscured in dark, darkness, will not understand. So he's, he's having this conversation with himself. He realized this, this great understanding that he's found, but he's questioning whether he can actually teach human beings because he also knows the common human condition, excuse me, rooted in ignorance. He's questioning, is it possible to pierce this veil of ignorance? Then, I'm just wondering, there's quite a long ways to go. Let's stop there because the, the, the conclusion of this sutta um, now teaches what, how the Buddha realized that he could teach and how to do it. So let's stop there uh, and we'll finish that next week. So it's a good way to put a break here. and I don't want to go on for another half hour. Um, so that's the teaching today. Um, I'd like to hear what you think and uh, we'll start with Brian. Thank you, John. Um... What, what struck me is that it, it, it felt like there was a, a pivot in there, a very clear pivot where he just, he just surrendered. Yes. He, 
instead of chasing and craving and, and desiring and he just came to that realization that there's nothing else out there that that's ever going to do and he just and it's just it reminds me of just what it means to be a mature adult right that you just come to a realization that, that you're it yep and he, he took it to a, a whole nother level but yeah. it's that radical acceptance to me felt a whole lot like surrender that's a perfect word for you what we're surrendering to is that we're human beings and it just it, it, i mean it, the the logic of that uh is obvious but why why do we why do we have to do this because of ignorance of four noble truths you know and it is it, it's tr- pure surrender to just being a human being and making that good enough you know they, they, when we don't do that then we start creating the scenarios of well, this this life is so difficult, but I can get to the dimension of nothingness as my reward for going through this. Again, what did you do your whole life with that type of thinking? You're never mindful of what's occurring because your mind is always going into that dimension of nothingness or neither perception or heaven. You know, I, I'm the, one of the the reasons why very early on I rejected Roman Catholicism wasn't because of all the nonsense around. I should use the word the the, the um, the the cloak of Catholicism or religion, it was because I was told that my reward was that for eternity I could sit at the right hand of God. That sounded like the most mind-numbingly awful thing to do. Why would I want to spend eternity sitting at the right hand of anything or anybody? Yeah, that seemed to be the great that. resolution for people, that, 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 that would be their reward. And I can understand... Okay, that's, you know, for, for whatever eternity means, I'm just sitting here and some guy's taking care of all things. I don't want to do that. If heaven was heaven at that point in my life, it would be, had great fishing holes and, you know, friendly dogs and pretty girls all around, not sitting at the right hand of God. Some, if I say something silly, Please, I prefer Mateo. the Islam view that you have 73 virgins. That is better. Yeah. That's the... <laughs> and, and look at what, what, again, not to put down a religion, but that... That motivates people to violence, doesn't it? Because they get a reward. Not in this life. I'll do something awful in this life so I can get the virgins. You know, and the reality of it, um, anything that I need to get tomorrow, I'm losing today. But you're right to bring it up. So, uh, Brian, thank you. Did you have anything else? Thank you, Brian. Mateo. Uh, yeah, thank you, John, for for the sutra today. Uh, two points that uh, uh, just remind me. I like when you say about wisdom, and uh, uh, that is not for everybody. That's a really, a really happy when I hear that because you know a, a lot of people like when they think about Buddhism, it's like with this sense of uh, inclusivity. Yeah, that is a good thing. And like, if you're not ready. You can't be included in in Buddhism. That doesn't mean that you have to exclude somebody, but it's like yeah. if you don't make, and that's as I interpreted, if you don't make a real effort to look for the real Buddhism, the teaching, of what what's what is the source of your discontentment? Yes. Uh, nobody else can do it instead of you. Yeah. So I remember when I find you, like I find you, like because I really make an effort to look on the internet what I want to go, what I see, and. Uh, the first thing that like struck me when I see your teachings or your Buddhist teachings, like your, it was like a very simple website. That for me it was like it's oh, a place. When I saw that, I was thinking, oh, nobody here to sell me anything, nobody here to make it like nice and cute and uh, have uh, Instagram or uh, social media. It's like it's as it is, like nude and crude. And that's what I need. And I felt like, oh, that is like what it really attracted me. And I feel like I really have to make an effort to fight that. That's just like what I like to come here with the Sangha and with other people that are looking dead. And I really, uh, I really appreciate that you are like that today in the Sutra. That is like, we need to take this big step to, that sometimes it's not even nice, it's not even comfortable, yeah. but it's like probably very rewarding. Yeah, it is. If you can say press one. <clears throat> and thank you so much for saying that about the website. Uh, I think you're the first one that ever said that. Uh, and, and I didn't that mean was, to be rude. I didn't mean to say that it's awful. I just say simple. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, 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 that's exactly what I wanted. I didn't want something. Um, I, when I first started this, I was living with a woman actually in this this house that I'm living in now, 
And I still remember how upset she was that I didn't have a lot of different visuals going on and, and pop-up stuff and all this because that, you know, that's what attracted to her. And she thought that that was attractive to people. Maybe it would be. But what I wanted was just a, a vehicle to present the Dhamma. And, and so thank you for saying that. I'm, you, know, you, you always want to hear that what your efforts are, are, um, are bearing fruit. So again, thank you. And I'm, I'm glad you find it useful. Thanks, Mateo. Uh, Shreyas, how are you? Uh, good, thank you. Um, this is, a, as the Buddha said, is a uh, not an easy uh, sutta and teaching to really uh, comprehend uh, in its depth. Yeah. And uh, again, from my perspective, um, I'm a physician, um, a neurologist by training, oh. and... Um, it was very interesting uh, when I was dealing with patients with chronic pain and the uh, terrible suffering that they experienced. I began to contemplate both my own suffering and the suffering of so, so many people uh, within the sphere of my life. And that was really this sort of doorway to... Um, coming to the Buddha Dharma in some sense, because when I first uh, read the first noble truth, that there is suffering, I mean, it's sort of was astounding. I mean, because we we are never told, you know, we're always told that we've done something wrong or or, or that we haven't achieved enough or we don't have enough money, all the things that you've sort of gone through um, that will make us happy and um, uh, take care of our suffering. So uh, the other thing that then happened after this realization was why is it that all of us as human beings, all of us as um, um, uh, people who are going to age, become sick um, and die, uh, just as the Buddha said, you know, the the root cause of um, uh, suffering uh, is birth. Um, because it will result yep. in age, sickness, and death. Yep. And so uh, just from a very logical point of view, from my own perspective, so what's the conclusion to uh, that in terms of like uh, diminishing uh, suffering or eliminating or, uh, you know, um, of, uh, um, liberating oneself yep, from that's the right suffering? Word. Yeah. And that is cessation. That is to not be born. Now, I also, like yourself, have, you know, uh, dipped my um, feet in many different branches of um, Buddhist uh, philosophy and, uh, you know, the Mahayana and Theravada teaching Tibetan um, and Zen. Um, And so uh, I look at this uh, from a a two-pronged perspective, really, the sort of perspective that you really uh, emphasize, which is from moment to moment becoming, and, you know, how do we um, establish a a, a sense of um, concentration and refined mindfulness, as, you know, we've talked about already in the few times that I've been um, with this Sangha. Um, So there's that aspect, which is really crucial, that we can actually... um, experience cessation or nirvana in this lifetime from moment to moment by becoming aware of um, things as such as the I, me, mine arising and, you know, recognizing our um, uh, clinging and attachments um, and the attachment to aversion as well as we discussed last time. And then for myself, um, because of the various other um, uh, Buddhist um, um, schools and teachings that I have explored, it's also a matter of, you know, if I really do want to, if there is this being that's me, this name and form, um, wants to uh, also um, eliminate suffering on the sort of what you would call the cosmic level, I suppose, that, you know, the whole point is not to be reborn. And so how um, is it that, you know, uh, that 
that can be also achieved. So there's this kind of, you know, very practical and very difficult um, level from a moment-to-moment basis in our lifetime. And then for myself, at least, there is this, you know, further kind of um, sort of, perhaps you would call, as you say, cosmic or a a greater and deeper as well, well, perhaps not greater and deeper, but equally as important, is um, to end this cycle of samsara. And um, that, also is a part of um, what cessation means to me is uh, to uh, let go let go of holding on to life or um, rebirth or whatever else and ultimately um, at that point when it occurs just to let go and relinquish everything completely yes that's the unprovoked state okay yeah there's nothing even even a provocation towards Another life is abandoned when we stop giving birth to another moment rooted in ignorance. It's simply no longer a concern. And there's nowhere, because I I thought about this, what did the Buddha really think about uh, other realms? And there's nothing in the the suttas that that the Buddha even references it, meaning it's, it's of no consequence to him because what his concern was is how do I live a full human life? Because, and I also think, and again, I'm a bit of speculation, that what would occur after that life, we can't know. And so there's no sense in even thinking about it. Even during the Buddhist time, he realized that no one ever went there and came back. You know, he understood that. Even Alara Kalama and Udeka Ramaputta were just speculating about these different dimensions. Nobody knows for sure. And the Buddha, in his utter practicality, said, I just want to know what it means to be alive right now. And he figured out a way to teach us how to do the same. And that was the, the big reward. It's my big reward. Again, because I was just like everyone else. I wanted to find the, the cosmic answers, the mystical answers. My first um, foray into, into any kind of Eastern thought was in a rehab when I was 19 years old. And my sister gave me um, two books. She gave me the novel Siddhartha by Herman Hesse and a book called Think on These Things by Krishnamurti. And they both got me moving in a certain direction. But that direction was escape and a resolution of what was wrong with me. And it wasn't until I came to what the Buddha taught that I realized what I was really looking for was, what does it mean to be a human being? And here we are, you know. And think about this, that there's six of us, seven of us here. We are in, in our present moment, right here and right now. My dog's going to alert in a minute. Bodhi, don't bark. <laughs> Nothing I can do about it. Come here, Bones. Come here. Come here. Come here. Stop. Come here. I'm teaching a class. There's some times where I want Bodhi to be different than he is, though. Like right now. Uh, and, it, and it's just that way. And so that, that understanding, Shreya, is that, that you know, this, is, this, this moment is the one that's most important to me because I'm alive. Not for anything else. Not because of what I'm getting or who I'm with. Because I'm alive. This is the answer. This is the, the, the big riddle. You know, why are we here? For this. For this. And that's enough. So, thank you, Shreyas. Bodhi. Come on, Bodhi. Come here. 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 Lay down right there. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry about that. Devlin, how are you? I'm glad you joined us. Me too. How are things going with you? Good, good. I have uh, nothing to add today, but thank you for this class. Okay, yeah. Let's talk soon, please. Yes, definitely. Great. Thanks, Devlin. How are you, Tom? I'm good, thank you. Uh, Howdy. student coming back for the holidays and um, she was reading a book which I think I had read myself about 10 years ago or 15 years ago um, called like how to be self-confident or how to be confident and 
I just found it interesting because it, it reminded me of the the journey, the the ignoble search that I was yeah. on for so many years, and this idea which you've come back to a lot, you know, which is this idea that there's something wrong with us and that we need to improve ourselves and we need to be more this or more that. Yeah. And I just wanted to. I didn't say anything to this girl, but I part of me wanted to just chat to her and say that you don't need to. The way to be self confident is just to be fully you know, accepting with who you are now Um, and not try to change anything about yourself. Um, um, And uh, yeah, I was, I I didn't get the chance to really chat to her, but it was certainly what was going through my mind. And um, uh, yeah, anyway, so just, 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 um, you know, I I just think this, everything that we were studying, you know, today in the the suitor, it all comes back to this, this this search we're on this search yeah. for um for attachment obviously it becomes particularly strong during the the christmas season um yeah. um and the only response is the the five five or six um um factors basically factors of awakening that were highlighted in the passage um so yeah that's all. That's all I have to share. Just, just sort of came home. Just every, well, not every so often. I mean, every day, in one way or another, the teachings hit home for me now. Um, yeah, and that's that's how it did today. Yeah, that's they, what I got. And they, oh. yeah, I turned that off so you didn't hear the dog barking. Um, it, 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 it's so easy to see. Maybe it isn't that in this moment, if I say I need to be different than I am, that's, that's a form of mental illness, isn't it? Mental disease. Of course it is. Because we can't be any different than we are. Of course we can, you know, we can do things differently. We can, you know, whatever it might be. But the most important thing is to understand what I am. And why do I do that? Why, why is understanding so important? Because it brings me peace and calm. Because I, I can live, I don't know why I've been using this word more often, I can live gracefully in the world. Meaning, meaning I'm, I'm, in the moment I'm fulfilled because I'm not telling myself I need something different or I need more. And that can be true whether you, whether you have all the gold in the world, you have all the power or notoriety in the world, or you're living under a bridge or, or sleeping under a tree. It has to do with the way I think about myself in relation to what's occurring to me. And that is, as we also learn in the Dhamma, that's always changing. The constant in a human life is impermanence. Everything changes. And so we learn to be at peace with the change, which is what drives most people crazy, isn't it? When anything changes. And so notice going through the the holiday season, because you'll all be gathering with different people, that you can now recognize the cause of their distress and be at peace with that because you understand it rather than... I, I just listen to somebody who was saying that it's such a stressful time because families come together and a lot of these families end up fighting together. Well, it's because they're familiar with each other. They know each other's buttons. We can understand that. You know, when I get together with my... There's only three of my brothers left now. But when I get together with them, it, it's almost like I'm just observing insanity because... Because and I'm not putting them down because of the way they're living their lives. But I understand it. I don't have to get in there and say, you should be this way and you got to stop that. And one of them, you know, one of them is a, he spends his life in a bottle. That's how he wants to live his life. And I'm at peace with it. And so I can leave them at peace. They might not be at peace with me, but, you know, in fact, just to, you know, I'm, I'm still the black sheep in the family. I've always been, you know, but I'm at peace with myself and the world around me. Uh, it sounds very selfish to say, but that's all that matters. It really is. And that's all that should matter to you is the quality of your mind in this moment. But you'll also find, and what I've found is I've become, I think, I think every human being, unless they have a, a true uh, psychopathological condition, every human being is compassionate. We, we care about each other. And I was like that my whole life. But I could never understand when I acted aggressively or hurtful to people. I couldn't understand where is that coming from. Now I don't even have to understand it because I can just be compassionate. I can just be a human being with people and let them be who they are. 
that's changed every relationship I've ever had. Because nobody feels the tension of me thinking in the moment, gee, you should be different than you are. You should be taller, prettier, you know, have better breath or whatever it might be. I'm just present. And again, I'm not trying to build myself up. It's the most natural thing in the world to be a human being and let you be a human being too. It's amazing. And it works. Uh, we'll continue this. We'll finish this, uh, this suit to next, uh, next Thursday. Uh, but I wish you all uh, happy holiday and we'll finish with Meta unless there's anything else. Any other questions or comments? Uh, John, one question. So uh, there is class on 25th or we skip? Uh, so there's no Saturday. class this Saturday. Okay, I, I'm assuming also the next Saturday because of New Year's. No, there will be a class yeah. next, next Saturday. On so New, New Year's Day, there will be a class. There will be or not? Sorry, yes. I didn't hear it. Yes, there will be a class next Saturday on New Year's Day. Okay, but not on Christmas. Not on Christmas. Okay, perfect. Got it. Yeah, and so that'll, be, that'll be, in, you know, the, the schedule will be in the newsletter too, just to remind you. Okay, okay. But real, the only class we're going to miss is, is uh, Christmas Day. If it was up okay. to me, we'd have a class, but it's not, up, it's not entirely up to me. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll finish with Metta. These are the Buddha's words on Metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. So again, take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath, and let that mindfulness unite your mind and your body. In the Buddha's words, This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. Peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class today. Peace, everyone. Thanks, John. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye. See, See you all soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.